How's it going, everyone? This is Jason Navarro. You're listening to Tongues Out Podcast, and let's continue talking about whether life exists outside of our planet or not. So uh, if you didn't have a chance to listen to yesterday's podcast, I kind of wanted to get it out of the way before we start getting into the really, really interesting stuff. Um, But yesterday I talked about something called the Fermi Paradox. If you didn't have a chance to listen to it, I would definitely um, take a chance to listen I went ahead and talked about how um, the non-existence of, of life outside of our own planet has perplexed astronomers for decades, uh, especially with the technology that we have now and the level of observation that we, we have and the technology that we have. It just doesn't make sense why we haven't been able to detect life. And I went over why the reasons for that and why Enrico Fermi has a paradox named after him. But if you didn't have a chance to listen to it, definitely would. But at the end of that podcast, I talked about how there is a popular um, hypothesis as to how life pretty much started on our planet and maybe how life probably starts in a lot of other planets. And uh, when I heard of the idea, I don't know how long ago it was that I heard the idea. The idea is pretty old. I mean, it's... um, I mean, there's some argument that it was thought of in ancient Greek time period, but it definitely has its roots somewhere in the mid to late 1800s. But um, I think I heard about it maybe uh, like six years ago. But the moment I heard about it, I definitely, um, I definitely jumped on board. I, I definitely became a believer of the idea, and it really solidified the the idea of why life really exists on our planet. And so it all started with, um, I heard, and actually it probably was older than six years, but it was the moment I learned about something called a tardigrade or tardigrade, excuse me. Um, and, uh, essentially they're, they're, they're not single celled, they're, uh, multiple celled organism, but they're very tiny. I mean, super microscopic, tiny, but they're, they're, they're called the water bears, because when you look at them through a microscope, they look like a little bear. They have a weird face, but they look like little teeny bears. Well, I've never heard of these things until like finally I, um, you know, I was reading about these through like some science article I was reading at the time about, um, you know, is, you know, is, can these things be uh, the like definitive proof that life didn't originate on earth? And so when I saw the article, it's like, oh. That's kind of interesting. Let me read it. And when you learn about tardigrades, essentially these organisms, they can, they pretty much exist everywhere on earth. I mean, from the coldest parts of the earth, like they've been found in the Arctic. They've been found in some of the most toxic, the hottest, the, I mean, the most lethal areas on this planet, you could find tardigrades on them. There's deep oceans, um, and and after observing these these organisms, we've been able to take them and kind of put them through multiple tests. And uh, very recently, I think within the last four years, we um, that's probably how I heard about this the article. Actually, we sent them to the International Space Station. The scientists in the International Space Station succumbed these um, these organisms to the vacuum of space for a short period of time, not like super long, and. These animals essentially have the ability, whenever they're exposed to something that is supposed to kill them, 
they're able to go into this super hibernative state where they kind of like, and I think that's why they also are relative to bears because bears during the winter, they, they hibernate. Well, these things, they hibernate, but they have the ability to kind of contain, like they need moisture. Almost every organism kind of needs water to live. Um, some aspect of water to live. And these, these organisms as well, they need some moisture in, in their bodies or they, or if they dry out completely, they're dead. But they have this extreme ability where they're able to kind of freeze themselves in like a, a like a, in a hibernative state where they use all of the, the ability that they have within their, their structure of their body to maintain whatever relative moisture is left inside of them. And then they, they barely much barely consume nothing of uh, of of energy, so they do this when they're exposed in areas where they know they can't eat or or survive, and essentially they can stay in those states for a long time, like decades, honestly, like years, and eventually when they when their body recognizes that they're in a proper environment where they're safe, they're able to kind of come out of this hibernative state and go back to normal, essentially go back to procreate, you know, and it, and we did the studies. We put these things in the vacuum of space, the vacuum of space, which is literally the most lethal part of the universe. I mean, there's nothing more lethal than, than the vacuum of space. Uh, left them out for not like months, but like days, brought them back in international space station. They came out of their hibernation and they were able to breed and, and make babies and the babies didn't have any problems. And, so there was no long-term destruction to their DNA, which is, you know, DNA in itself is kind of like the building, DNA and RNA are like the building blocks of life. And so um, these things were able to kind of protect our DNA through this like horrible environment. And so it, it adds uh, credence to the idea that maybe, possibly, and, and so like when you watch, for instance, our Earth is impacted by asteroids all the time, all the time, like constant barrage of asteroids and asteroids that could be like meteoroids, like small little, like, no, I don't mean like asteroids, excuse me, like meteors, different sites of meteors. And so like, you have meteoroids, which are like super small all the way up to like asteroids, which are like super massive, but our planet is impacted by different sizes of rock from space all the time. These rocks have, uh, an originating life pretty much. And so, in space, there's no friction, so these things move. But for them to initially have an inertia or move, some force had to cause them to move in space. And so the idea is that a lot of rocks, asteroids, um, there's a few ways that they can move. Either like a, a thing that has a large level of um, of gravity, pretty much, um that comes by like an inert rocks, you know, the gravitational pull pulls these rocks and then slings them off like a slingshot to like random parts of the universe. And then eventually they'll impact something if it's in their way. Or what tends to happen a lot is that um, this doesn't really happen on earth because we have an atmosphere that protects us. An atmosphere really burns up a lot of these rocks that impact us. But if you look at the moon, if you look at other planets that don't have an atmosphere, which is a majority of the planets out there, there is footage, you can see footage, even on the sun, for instance, like when the sun gets impacted with like comets and stuff, 
when these rocks at such speeds that they travel at, when they hit a planet and they hit the the, the ground, they fling up dirt up in like up into space. Like it flies, especially when there's no atmosphere, it goes into space. And so all these particles and chunks of rocks, they fly off this planet. Depending on how massive of an object hit this, like if another planet hits another planet, I mean it's not just chunks of rocks. It's like we're talking about like tectonic plates worth of like material gets flung into space and potentially becomes another asteroid. But even like big comets, when they hit these planets, they, they leave such an impact crater that the rocks that get flung off of them travel over, off the planet. And let's say this planet had life on it, not like complex life, not like us, but like small little organisms, right? All of, and if you know anything about bacteria and viruses, you know that they, um, you know, essentially they live everywhere. Um, they're essentially all like all over every every orifice that you have on your skin. They're all over the ground. They're everywhere. So if a rock hits the Earth and flings out, like or not the Earth, but like a planet that has no atmosphere and flings off this dust and rocks all over then essentially eventually this dust and rocks will will fling out into space and will drift and drift until eventually it will land on another planet that potentially has no atmosphere and when it does if that planet has whatever this life needs to exist like we're talking about like the the nutrients because single-celled organisms don't feed like we do we don't they don't eat other organisms they eat nutrients pretty much And so as long as the nutrients exist on the other planet, then they'll grow and multiply. And essentially that planet will now be full of, of single celled organisms. And eventually if the rest of that environment leads to the evolution of complex life, then essentially that's, that could potentially happen. And so again, for religious people, you're going to want to ignore all this week because if you're that religious, you can't even believe in, uh, in extraterrestrials like, it's so i mean this is for anyone else that that believes in the idea of evolution at least and the idea that we evolved from from single-celled organisms and so um you know there 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 has to be an originating point for where dna came from like and so the idea is like there there was a chicken there wasn't an egg first there was somewhere in this universe dna was created but a lot of people think that it wasn't created on this planet. That a lot of this, this, a lot of like old ancient, like organisms were derivative from. And like when you look at the history of the Earth, it's known that the Earth didn't always have an atmosphere. It was like a molten area, a lot of methane rain. It was like very toxic. Of a, we couldn't live. It was just so toxic. And then eventually, all of these components built into complex life somehow and then the complex life parts of that or not complex life the, these single-celled organisms developed in such a way that they some of them evolved to a way to gather sun energy to create photosynthesis and then they the byproduct of that photosynthesis um they started to absorb all this like toxic air created oxygen and a mixture of all of this stuff that happened eventually led to the creation of our atmosphere and that's how like for instance we have an atmosphere or like such an atmosphere that we do essentially like with all the type of air that we have um 
was a derivative of the evolution of these of these species that learn how to do photosynthesis and everything of that nature. And so, but if you look, there are not just tar- tar- uh, tardigrades, but there are other organisms. There's uh, multiple bacteria, multiple viruses that we've exposed to extreme levels of heat, pressure, um, like things that just aren't found on this planet now. And so for them to, to have these traits just doesn't make any sense. But then when you look and you start to think like maybe life didn't originate on our planet, maybe life originated on a more extreme planet, a planet that maybe was a lot larger, had a, a higher level of gravity, more pressure, more heat. But even in these areas, like life was able to to exist because the the essential nutrients that that these little bacteria need. Because again, life doesn't need to be complex like us or like other animals. Life is also bacteria. Bacteria are life essentially, and so these this life could have originated somewhere where, I mean, honestly, was super super extreme of a, of an environment, no atmosphere whatsoever, like a barely anything of an atmosphere. And maybe this planet got hit within a comet so hard. And that life probably came, you know, what's, you know, what would be a crazy uh, theory, honestly. And I, I, this is where I think life came from. So the idea is that Mars used to have water. Mars used to be in a, a habitable planet. And for whatever reason, uh, had a lower level of atmosphere. It, its gravitational pull isn't as strong as Earth, so the the lack of gra- gravity that it had, plus maybe other extreme events like massive uh, tectonic uh, exposures or like movement, volcanic eruptions, massive impacts of of comets and and asteroids, really destroyed the atmosphere of Mars and exposed it to high levels of radiation, which pretty much burnt up all the water on that planet. And, and let it to be the dead planet that it is now. But it wouldn't be too hard to think that, you know, and this is why I think a lot of scientists are really hopeful for researching whether Mars or even Venus, for instance, show remnants of life. But Mars is a little bit easier to, to research just because of the fact that it doesn't have a lethal atmosphere like Venus does. But it's really like, that's why this like recent probe that we have sent to Mars that has like the drone that can fly around. That's why it's super important because essentially this thing is really, uh, it's being sent to an area where water is thought to have existed in a plentiful state. And they want to see if maybe there are some signs of life on Mars, for instance. And if there is, like if there's signs of bacteria on that planet, then I think that what happened was something that was like extinction level of destruction, like what happened with the dinosaurs, something like that happened to Mars, flung a lot of organic material off of Mars during a period where it was pretty much going extinct anyways with life. And whatever remnants of life that did exist at the very end of Mars's life flung off of its, its like its surface. There was no atmosphere. So it flew frictionless off of the planet and traveled eventually to Earth when Earth was at a period where it was essentially kind of developing as a, as a planet, you know, developing water and things of that nature. And this life got flung into our planet with water. A, a majority of the surface was pretty much like very toxic water. 
this life was able to exist on Mars that was already kind of going extinct already and was able to thrive on Earth because Earth at least had a little bit more of a sustainable environment and thrived. And when it thrived, it, it grew. And when it grew, it eventually, it was closer to the sun. So maybe it was evolutionary, like it, it benefited them to gather energy from the sun because Mars isn't so close to the sun. So photosynthesis wouldn't have been something that a lot of these things probably had as an acquired skill. And so that was acquired here on earth. And maybe a big part of what leads to life is obviously like the develop development of oxygen and, and the, and the type of air that we have and, and maybe these photosynthesis synthesizing bacteria started to produce uh, the air and then eventually um, that in itself, like wasn't a, like for some bacterium was like, wasn't an efficient way to develop energy. And so those evolved in a way to consume other creatures. And then they eventually applied now that there was a thriving, uh, like, like colony of like, you know, photosynthesizing well, bacterium out there. Eventually like the other, like other things that didn't learn how to do photosynthesis, but eight other organisms was like, oh my God, now there's plentiful food. Let me eat this food. And then it started to eat that food. And then eventually for whatever reason started to evolve into more complex organisms um, that eventually led to us. That idea is not perplexing to me whatsoever. That like when I thought of that, like so long ago when I heard about tardigrades and I heard about panspermia. And so the idea of panspermia essentially is the hypothesis that life existed or exists throughout the universe, but it's essentially distributed amongst other planets through multiple different ways um, by like crater impacts and all the, and as crazy of an idea as even intelligent life, bringing that life to other planets essentially. So there's also the idea that maybe intelligent life that had all this bacteria on its spaceship or on them came and visited the earth looked at it, left, it didn't suit their needs, and um, they left this life on, on our planet as well. But what's more believable to me is the whole Mars idea. And so, um, honestly, if you had had a chance to definitely look into panspermia, I definitely would recommend it. Um, it is... Honestly, what I think is the explanation for why life exists on this planet, because the idea that that life just kind of grew out of this toxic environment just isn't believable to me. I think it had to have existed already as an originating planet started to have more of a toxic environment for whatever reason. Again, using Mars as an example, eventually like our atmosphere wasn't as strong, started to dissipate, you know, other external events or even internal events caused the the planet to start to lose its atmosphere even further started to become more and more of a toxic environment to live in. So whatever animals were left to live on this toxic environment had to learn how to evolve in this environment. And finally, boom, a big asteroid or comet flew into Mars, shot up a lot of that material. And it's not far fetched to think that it couldn't have randomly created an organic cloud and the way of the earth and as the earth orbits flew into this area, absorbed a lot of this life, you know, at the time, maybe it, it in itself didn't have an atmosphere. Of course it didn't because it didn't have life probably to strengthen an atmosphere. 
So it was easy to come onto our planet. And then eventually this life evolved, thrived, developed our atmosphere in such a way that now complex organisms can live. And here we are, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, millions of years later, this is, you know, the, the, the story of life. And so I, I don't think in a creator in a way, I mean, I, I've always been perplexed by the idea, like, are we a simulation? And so like, I, I, if I think in the side of realism and I, I think that we aren't created by like some like programmer and this isn't like a, 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 um, a virtual world pretty much or a virtual reality, should I say, or a simulated reality, then the, the, the idea that it's not a simulated reality, if I were to think how did life come onto this planet, I think the most logical way is that is panspermia. Now, we will probably, I talked about it briefly, um, which is like, I, I'm debating whether realism is a thing or if, you know, we're, we're really just a simulated reality developed for whatever means, for whatever purpose. And so I, I, I'm always conflicted inside. Like philosophically, I'm, I'm always like debating like which one of the sides makes more sense. As I get older and as I get closer to potentially the ability or the likelihood that I'm going to die, um, I start to lean more towards realism. Now, if I see that, you know, things are happening in such a way that the opportunity to live longer and technologies will exist that will allow me to continue my consciousness and blah, 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 blah. And technology will improve and virtually and graphically we can start to simulate realities via our own technology. Then I'll lean on the other way. But like, as I'm getting older right now, I'm, I'm, I'm like, it's, it's hard because I see where technology is going as well. So it's, it's really hard. But anyways, um, I just wanted to talk about panspermia. These, these two days, Really, um, like yesterday, talking about why extraterrestrials or extraterrestrials don't exist, or why we don't observe them, or they're at least remnants of them somehow. And then today, talking about how life probably didn't originate on our planet, maybe originate somewhere else, came here. Really, are two relative ideas that are are accepted within the scientific community. From here on, it is going not conspiracy. It is going more in the idea of thought experiments and observational uh, um, events on our planet and things that for sure, measurably, we have seen. And so uh, I hope you guys are tuning in for this ride. It's going to be super awesome. Thank you guys so much for listening to uh, Panspermia. Definitely look into it, just like the Fermi Paradox. Phenomenal stuff. Really, it might even influence the way you think life started on this planet. But anyways... To, till tomorrow. <laughs> I will catch all of you guys mañana. Peace.